0: pray. Gracious God, we do dearly lift ourselves to you in total praise and total adoration, Lord. We can't do anything without you, Lord Jesus, and so we humbly, humbly surrender ourselves before your throne. Lord, we just lie before you, Lord, and if we could all get on the ground, face forward, Lord, we would today, Lord, because we know We are sinners, Lord, in need of a Savior. We are so undeserving of your love and your grace. And yet, and yet, Lord, you love us anyway. And so we can lift up our eyes. We can lift up our arms. We can lift up our voices, ourselves, unto you, O Lord, thanking you and praising you for all good that you do for our lives. Lord Jesus, we pray your Holy Spirit power will continue to work through through us, through this message. Help us this day to hear from you, Lord. Help us this day to know exactly your will, your plan, and your power in our lives. We thank you and we honor you. In the mighty and holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all your people said, amen and amen. That is a powerful, powerful, powerful song. Amen. So, saints, we are in a new series. Amen. Amen. If you look at your uh, bulletin, if you have it with you today, what is the title of today's message? Getting ready for greatness. And what's the second part? Get ready and stay ready. Tell your neighbor it's time to get ready. Time to get ready. Tell your other neighbor it's time to stay ready. Time to stay ready. Have you ever noticed that there are a lot of things in our lives that we get ready for? We get ready for a lot of stuff. We're always getting ready for something. We get ready for our day. How many of y'all got ready for your day last night? Some of (laughs) y'all. Some of y'all was late to church today because you didn't get ready last night. (laughs) What do we do when we get ready the day before? We lay out our clothes. Some of us get showered the night before, right? What else do we do? If we we get to tomorrow, what do we do to get ready for what? Work. (laughs) What do we do to get ready for work? Oh, that's a good one. Make sure you got them keys somewhere local, right? Know where your cell phone is. (laughs) Oh, good one. We got to pray for that week. Because you know you're about to encounter some craziness, right? <laughs> get your mindset right. Some people get, you know, they get their lunch packed. Anybody still pack a lunch? Some, some folks still pack a lunch. Make sure you got something to eat. Some people go through, make sure you got some money to get something to eat. If you like my husband, my husband always goes to get gas. <laughs> don't want don't to wanna not have gas, right? Last night, yesterday was a beautiful day, wasn't it? For those of you that weren't here, we had our church, our annual church picnic. And I'm telling you, this place was packed. We had food and games. But what happened before all of that, before yesterday? It was a lot of preparation, a lot of getting ready, right? And then yesterday, too, we went also, some of us went and joined Gwen Coates at her concert. And they had the war concert in Severance Hall, you guys. It was absolutely beautiful. Gwen did a phenomenal job. So when you see Gwen, tell her, good job. She's not going to know what you're talking about, maybe. But <laughs> good job. She laid it out. She sang a Donna Summer song. Yo, I still got that song in my mind. I want to break out, but I'm not Gwen. <laughs> so I'm going to stay in my lane. But when I looked at everything, they took a lot of getting ready, a lot of preparation. You can't just get up and decide you want to sing, can you, Carrie? Nope. You can't just decide you want to play an instrument. <laughs> you got to get ready, right? It's just some time and preparation and all of those details. I mean, your hair, your look, your makeup, your shoes. I mean, if you are a lady, amen. I did notice a difference in the outfits. Gwen looked like Diana Ross. <laughs> Some of the fellas was a little shaky, <laughs> but that's okay, Their voices sounded good, Their voices sounded good. <laughs> but we get ready for everything. If you gotta take a bus, what do you do to get ready? You gotta get the schedule, you gotta get a ticket, right? <laughs> How many of y'all got doctor's appointments? Everybody in this room. <laughs> What you got to do to get ready for your doctor's appointment? Make the appointment. Make sure you got some health insurance. Some of you all have to fast, right? Fast before an appointment because you're going to have to take some blood tests or whatnot. Some of you all have to go to see one doctor before you can even see the next doctor. But we got to get ready, right? We get ready for proms, graduations, baby showers, amen, weddings. We get ready for even the day we die. Well, some of us do. Some of us act like we're not going to die. and <laughs> You're not doing anything. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, you need to get ready. You need to get ready. We, we're planning for Francis Si's home go- going on Wednesday this week. I'm just giving all the announcements ahead of time, amen. <laughs> One thing I was so happy about, though, was her family told us she had already planned everything out. She had already stated where she wanted, where she wanted to be buried. All the things are paid for. Isn't that nice when somebody pays for their funeral and you don't have to worry about paying for it? (laughs) So tell your neighbor again, get ready (laughs) and stay ready. So why do we do all this getting ready? Why do we... Get ready and stay ready. There's a famous quote called, When we fail to plan, we plan to fail. Has anybody heard that one? I remember when I was in school, it used to be on at least one teacher's wall somewhere. When we fail to plan, we plan to fail. This quote is often attributed to Benjamin Franklin. I never knew that. People believe he said it, but they're not absolutely sure. They do know that this quote has been around for at least, since at least 1790. Say 1790. That's a long time ago, right? So even back, way back then, before computers, before organizers and desktop calendars, folks understood that we all need a plan. So again, why do you need a plan? Hold on to that question. When we go through all the planning... Here is the part that that kind of laid us out in our lay pastors group. We go through all the planning to get ready. Do we stay ready? (laughs) Sometimes we think this is taking too long and we get sidetracked, don't we? So we don't stay ready. Some of us start getting ready, you know, on the weekend, you know, you got to go to work on Monday. So you start getting your laundry together, you might take the clothes to the dry cleaner. So you start getting ready, but then you stop in the process. Maybe you forgot to go pick up your clothes from the dry cleaners. Maybe you left your clothes in the washing machine, amen? If you didn't get your clothes from the dry cleaner and you left your clothes in the washing machine and now it's six o'clock in the morning on Monday morning, are you ready? What are you? In trouble, right? (laughs) You got a lot of stress going on, right? (laughs) So not only do we have to get ready, we have to stay ready. Tell your neighbor again, get ready, neighbor. Tell the other neighbors, stay ready, neighbor. (laughs) You know, I think about all the different times when we have gotten ready for something And we kind of think, this is the end. I have made it. I have achieved what I was supposed to achieve. And then we realize, oh, we got more to do. That's easy to see on something like if you're getting ready for a new baby. You, You know, you decorate the nursery. You have everything ready. You got the bottles, the diapers. The baby finally arrives. And you've done all this getting ready. But is there more to do? Oh, it's a whole lot more to do, isn't it? You get ready for school. You buy your books, the notebooks, pens, pencils. You got everything ready. Is there more to do? Yes, there's more to do. There's something always more to do because we're getting ready for something. What are we getting ready for? This is our big theme. We're getting ready for greatness. Tell your neighbor you're getting ready for greatness. Our entire lives are preparing us for greatness, whether we think about it or not. God has constantly been preparing us for greatness. And so, over these next four sermons, we're going to be meeting different people in the Bible and how God prepared his people for greatness what they went through, what they encountered, how they got ready, how they stayed ready. And today, we're going to meet King David. Say, King David. We're gonna meet King David and the next and we might even meet a little bit of the ten bridesmaids. Say the ten bridesmaids. I was up at the concert last night, y'all. I gotta confess we didn't leave the concert to about ten thirty. So we might not get all the way through this sermon today, but we're gonna try to make it. My getting ready and my staying ready didn't work too well. I thought the concert was gonna be over by nine. Oh no. They were still going even after we left. But so, saints, we're going to meet King David, and then we're going to try to get to the ten women. But if not, guess what? It's a part two. And so they'll get captured in part two. So today our focus is going to be on King David. What do you all know about King David? Tell me some things you know about King David. He was the son of Jesse. Man after God's own heart. Man after God's own heart. He was a psalmist. He was a musician. He was a soldier. He, every time he fell, he was like, please forgive me, Lord, right? He recognized his sinfulness. I heard somebody say the G word. Goliath. <laughs> he, fought with, he fought with Goliath and defeated Goliath, right? So we can look at, oh, go ahead, Marvin. He was always in communication with God, constantly talking with God. He did what? He did. He made a lot of mistakes, didn't he? What well, are some of those mistakes he made? Bathsheba was the big one, right? Oh, Lord. Bathsheba was his downfall. Don't go outside and look over. No balconies. (laughs) Keep your eyes in the house. (laughs) Yes? He had Bathsheba's husband kill Uriah, right? Uriah the Hittite. Anything else? He really messed up with his children. Woo, he messed up with his kids. He probably messed up with his wives, too. We don't have those stories, though. (laughs) Maybe that's why they didn't let some of the women write in the Bible, right? Because we would have told the other side of the story. (laughs) Let me tell you about that day. My husband was looking over that balcony at Bathsheba. (laughs) They didn't want that story in the Bible. (laughs) But he made a lot of mistakes. Anything else? It's interesting how we have the the gift of being able to look at the Bible and we can see the person's entire story from beginning to end. What if you could see your entire story from beginning to end? (laughs) Some of y'all are like, no, I don't want to see it. (laughs) What if when you was about 10, I don't know, you got a DVD or a video or something on the computer popped up and showed you your whole life, you couldn't make any changes, but you saw the middle, you saw the late to middle, and you saw the ending. What'd you want to know? Nobody wants to know. Oh, because he's like, you can't change it. You can't change it, so you don't want to see all the mess ups you about to make, huh? You don't want to know. So, We are looking at King David's life, and King David is toward the end of his life. You know, if we we just briefly look over uh, the the, the timeline of David's life, we don't know how old he was when he killed Goliath, but we know the Bible says he was young. So he could have been 10, he could have been 12, he could have been a teenager. We don't know, but we know he was young. We know that he became King Saul when he was 30 years old. Say 30. So he was King Saul when he became 30. He was a little over 40 when he, the whole Bathsheba and Uriah situation happened. So he was in his 40s. He was also in his 40s, or a little closer to his 50s, when Solomon was born. So then we get toward the end of his life, and... Uh, those problems that that Walter talked about with the kids, they start coming up because the kids is grown. Absalom, remember the son Absalom? He rebelled against his dad. And so that happened right around, they think, when David was about 60 years old. A little between 63 and 69 is the time span when David comes to the second Samuel chapter 23. And it says, these are the last words of David. I don't know what it was that he thought he was about to die. But he thought when he got in his later 60s, mid to late 60s, he figured up is about time. So I'm going to write down my last words. Any of y'all that's in y'all 60s feel like, you know, time is changing? Anybody having a different situation? You all, tomorrow, I turn 49 years old. <laughs> Thank God, right? I turn 49, and as fast as my 40s have gone, I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to be looking at 60 in a minute. <laughs> the 40s just zoom by. <laughs> so I know the 50s are going to go real fast. And so I don't know if, if, Saul, if David was just like reflecting back as he was getting older and he's thinking, you know, these may be my last words. And even though these, this chapter says these are the last words of David, we know that he continued to live at least 10 years. He lived until he was 70. So those weren't his last, last words. Those were some of his last words. But within those last words, he is older And he's looking back over his life. And he has had many successful moments. I mean, you all named some of them. He's king. He defeated Goliath. He has won many wars and many battles. He did get married. He did become a father. We know he has some shortcomings, but hey, hallelujah, he got married, amen. And he has some kids. So we know that King David has had some successful moments. Have you had some successful moments in your life? Some things you can be proud of, things that you are glad you accomplished, things that you are glad happened in your life. Well, David has those things. He has also had those difficult moments that you all have already mentioned. You know the situation with Bathsheba. He committed adultery. He, com- he killed Uriah, and then he messed up with his children. Can we all confess that we have had some difficult moments in our lives? We have had some things that we are so glad nobody knows about and nobody remembers. Anybody like me and you glad your teens and your 20s, they did not have Facebook? Man, oh man, I would have been on there posted up, (laughs) y'all. I'm so glad. (laughs) I try to tell the young people, you might not want to post up like that now. I know you, you know, 17 and 18. But one day, you're going to be 60. And you're going to be thinking, I shouldn't have never put that online, but you can't get rid of it. And <laughs> it's so many things that we have messed up on in our lives. And we are so glad most people don't even know about them. David's stuff was all in the Bible, though. And when we get to this chapter in his life, he's looking at his life, and we would think that it's full of regrets. Anybody ever heard of the woulda, coulda, should have the would have, could have, and should have. I would have done this. I could have done that. I should have done this. And we know he didn't. And we would think that David, at the end of his life, may be wanting to list all of his regrets. But when we look at his life and these last words, he teaches us a really great lesson. Tell your neighbor you're about to get a great lesson. You see, what David speaks of... Is what the Lord has done for him. He doesn't brag about himself. He, doesn't, he isn't down on himself. His focus is on God. Let's look at this scripture together. Uh, Jasmine or Jaden, got a, we got a new media person, y'all. Jaden is over there today. Can you put up, <laughs> hallelujah, give him a clap. Yeah, I'm pointing you out. <laughs> when our young people are serving, we are so proud. So 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. Let's read these together. These are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. You see, what is David's focus here? He is talking about God and what God has done in his life. All of us have some ups and downs. Have we had some ups and downs? Every single day, we probably will have at least one up and one down. We will have one good and we will have one bad. That's just the the way life rolls, isn't it? But here it is, David isn't focusing on all the negatives. We have a tendency at times to focus on every single thing that has gone wrong in our lives. We will point out, oh, you know what, the traffic was crowded. Instead of saying, I'm glad I got a car to get to work today. We will notice how somebody had a bad attitude at work or school. Oh, that teacher was getting on my nerves. But we don't ever point out, oh, I'm glad I'm in school. glad I got education. Glad I'm learning. We can list up and down, especially with people that aggravate us. How many people, how many of y'all got somebody that aggravates you? Oh, Lord, all of us. (laughs) We can list every single thing about the people that aggravate us. Everything that we dislike about them. But well, we find it hard to find one positive thing to say. Everybody has something positive about them, even the worst people, don't they? Every single one of us. Because guess what? You aggravate somebody. <laughs> guess what? Somebody listing all the things that you do wrong. <laughs> and sometimes you want people to see in you the things that you do right. What you got for me, Marvin? Marvin? There's no condemnation in Christ because we're all sinners, amen? So, when David is at the end of his life, he begins to focus on all of the positives. He begins to answer the question, what has Jesus done for me? What has Jesus done for you today? Woke you up, didn't he? Some of us would say he picked us up and turned us around, amen? Some of us would say Jesus placed our feet on what? Solid ground, hallelujah. Some of us would say Jesus spoke to me and lifted me up, and I'm no longer down. Jesus lets the world know that we are his. We are his. You see, what's some things that Jesus has also done for us? He rose for us, didn't he? He died for us, didn't he? And then he said, I'm coming back. For who? Us. Jesus has restored. Jesus has healed. Jesus has forgiven. Jesus had a, has made a way out of no way, hasn't he? Jesus always sends somebody to help us out, doesn't he? He shows up on time every time, doesn't he? And so in these last words, D- David is talking about Jesus, God, the God of, ja- God of Jacob anointed me. He says, these are the inspired words. That means they come from God. He says that he is the exalted by the Most High. That's amazing, isn't it? Then he also says, the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me, and his word was on my tongue. You see, when we think back on David's life, David had a lot of struggles, but I think some of y'all said it. In the midst of his struggles, he was always lifting up God. He was always total praising God. He was always knowing that God was going to see me through. You see, because God gave David a promise at the beginning of his life that extended through his entire life all the way to the end and beyond. Tell your neighbor, beyond beyond. God was preparing David for greatness. For greatness. And when we think a little bit more about David's story, when he's reflecting back on these last words, he realizes that his children are grown. How many of y'all got grown children? It's tough, isn't it? We thought we had it bad when they was in first and second grade. Grown children are a whole nother monster. <laughs> it's hard to have grown children because they always want to be grown. But they're calling you all the, time. <laughs> all the time. I'm not talking about nobody because my mama said the same thing about me and I'm 49. <laughs> I'm sure some of y'all parents who are in their 80s or 70s or 90s, Still looking at you like, why are you calling me? (laughs) So David is reflecting back about his life. He begins by first giving God praise. He begins by acknowledging every single thing that God has done in his life. And then he goes forward and he starts talking about the other people. Say other people. He begins to talk about the other people that came along beside him to allow him to be the king that he became. You see, we don't walk through this life alone, do we? There are so many people that helped us out. If you was at the picnic yesterday, you would have saw a great example of that. That was all of us, say all of us, all of us working together to make a successful picnic. And David had many journeys and fought many battles, but he was never alone. He begins to talk about the 30 mighty men. Say 30. These were the men that fought battles with David. They protected David. They won wars with David. And here David is acknowledging these 30, and he begins to list them by name. And if I wish all of you all had your Bible. He goes through all these names. And as Jessica was reading, they hard names, aren't they? None of these names are easy. But he gets to verse 39, and he says, And Uriah the Hittite. Y'all got to go with me on that one. He lists all the names. Now, he knows about his situation with Bathsheba. He knows that he killed Uriah. So adultery and murder, two commandments he broke. (laughs) amen. But he doesn't hide his sin. He doesn't try to put it away and act like it didn't happen. He confesses and acknowledges that Uriah was a part of this. And that's going to be important later on as we are getting ready for greatness and talking about the greatness when we focus a little bit on Uriah's story. You see, because we can say for Uriah, his story didn't turn out so great. His story seemed to be kind of hard. But tell your neighbor, Uriah's story is great. You see, David is listing everyone who was there for the journey. He is talking about the greatest, the mightiest, the bravest, and that includes Uriah. He acknowledges his mistakes, his failures, his errors, and is kind of saying all of these things do not define us. You see, we think our mistakes and our failures and some of our failures are grand, amen? We think they define us, but they don't. Tell your neighbor they don't. God can take us all and use all of us for greatness. Every single one of us. You think you got the worst sin? Oh, no, you don't. Tell your neighbor, no, you don't. God can still use us in our sins, And that's why when we're talking about getting ready for greatness and seeing David's entire destiny, his destiny didn't begin with himself He acknowledges Jacob. He goes all the way back. He's acknowledging those that went before him. And he's preparing for what's coming after him. Tell your neighbor, get ready. And stay ready. And stay ready. You know, David, when we look at his life, we would think that why was he chosen? Why was he chosen? I mean, he had so many mess up. Why David? Why was he the one to be a man after God's own heart? Well, there was something in David's heart that God saw and God said, he's the one. You see, we don't get to choose God. God chooses us. We don't get to see into God's heart. God sees into our hearts, doesn't he? Every single time. And he still looks at us and says, you are destined for greatness. So as David is wrapping up his life and he's concluding and he's writing down all the names, he's giving God the praise. He's talked about the mighty men that helped him along the way. And he's acknowledging every single thing that he went through. Why is he going through this? Because God is prepping David to name his successor. Think about that. All of us look at our kids, don't we? And we already know which one's going to help us. If you don't, you need to take a quick look. You got to get ready. I already know which one of my kids I absolutely do not want helping me. (laughs) Because I know I'm not going to eat. They're not going to change my depends. I'm going to be sitting in front of a TV all day. It's just what it is. We had these conversations. Me and my kids had these conversations. I told them, look, let's not even play around, but just put me in the nursing home and come visit. Because all of y'all is messy, and I don't want to stay in none of y'all houses. We've got to have real conversations, y'all, with our kids. But you know, at some point, you have to shift over things of your life to somebody else. That house you're living in, it's not going to stay your house. Much as you like that house, it's not going to stay your house. That car you're driving, not going to stay your car forever. You got to consider who else might drive this vehicle. That money that you think you got in the bank. <laughs> like go ahead and spend it all. Go wild. Especially if you're in your 80s and 90s, just spend it up. <laughs> But honestly, though, thinking about who's coming next, legacy. Walter said the word. See, we got to do better as a people about preparing for the next generation, don't we? We got to do better. We know they're going to need money. So get you a life insurance policy. (laughs) Amen. Put some money in the bank because your time is coming to an end. So David was constantly getting ready for greatness, because he knew his, the legacy was coming through him. He knew that it was him, then his son Solomon, then many after him that was leading to who? There it is, (laughs) y'all. He was leading to Jesus, getting ready for greatness. David wasn't just concentrating on himself, He knew that God had a plan that was working through his line, that was going through him. And that legacy came from Jesus to who? Us. So we're not just preparing for ourselves. Tell your neighbor, it's not about you. It is not about you. It's not about us. As I've been walking around this building, because we have been, this ceiling has been so interesting, y'all, this whole roof situation. And for those of you that are guests, welcome to our Jimuary. That's what we have named this place. Our Jimuary, while we our sanctuary is under construction, and and finding stuff, because there's a whole lot of stuff in this building, y'all. I'm telling you, it's a whole lot of stuff that go back centuries. <laughs> I came across a sermon by Reverend Kite. Who remembers Reverend Kite? Look at all of y'all remembering Reverend Kite. <laughs> This was Reverend Kite's sermon for ordination. He had to type his sermon. And this old school typewriter, y'all, you can even tell on the paper. I was like, this was not a word processor. This is an old school typewriter. You can even feel the lettering. You know know how it was, y'all. So he writes out his sermon that is being evaluated for him to become ordained. That's an amazing sermon, isn't it? So I'm reading this sermon because I'm fascinated by what he's going to write here. And it's like red marks. Y'all remember the red ink pen? (laughs) Teachers, why y'all writing that red ink pen? (laughs) But it's all kind of red ink all around the sermon and notes and pencil marks and things like that because the sermon was being evaluated, was being read by the others. So he begins his sermon by telling a story about going to visit a woman in the hospital. He gets in there, and him and the woman, I'm just, you know, giving it my own words, but they shoot, shooting a breeze, talking, and he's not thinking anything big of this meeting. But then she asks him a pivotal question. What happens when we die? What happens when we die? And he described in his sermon that the question stopped him. He didn't know how to answer that question. So he, you know, thought back to some things he learned in seminary, put something together about Calvin, and he gave her some answer. And, you know, he said when he left, though, he felt completely unsatisfied with his answer. And he asked himself, how can I be about to be a pastor? And I can't even answer a simple question about what happens when we die. He was so down on himself. He was so negative about himself. He felt like he had failed the entire task. Well, that lady died. And then he got a call from her daughter. And the daughter said, I want to thank you, Reverend Kite. I don't know what you said to my mother, but whatever you said gave her peace. And after your meeting, she called me and said she was ready to die. And they all got there and they surrounded the bedside and she died peacefully. And he said in that sermon, I do not know what I said to that woman. <laughs> Which particular word or phrase made the difference? But he acknowledged it was not him, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that delivered that woman to greatness. You see, all of us think that the little things we do do not matter. But if we think about the entire journey, not just today, because your life isn't just about today. It's about the whole journey, the whole life that God is looking at. You're getting ready for greatness. Tell your neighbor, you're getting ready for greatness. All right, y'all, we're not going to get to them bridesmaids today, amen. So next Sunday, (laughs) you got to come back to hear about the bridesmaids. Go ahead, Mom. It's all for the glory of God. It's all for the glory of God. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we thank you, Lord, for all good gifts given through you. We thank you, Lord, for the example of David and his life and being able to look back over and think things over. Lord, help us to reflect on our lives. Help us to visualize where we have been. Help us to see where we currently are. And most importantly, help us to visualize the greatness of where we one day will be with you. And that promised mansion of many rooms. We thank you and we honor you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.